3: Thank you.
4: Ireland. It's certainly nice to be with you. This is Morgan O'Sullivan aboard the Aer Lingus Boeing 747 jumbo jet flight, St. Kill, on its delivery flight to Dublin Airport. And that was how it sounded earlier in the cockpit of this 10 million pound giant aircraft as we took off from Seattle in the state of Washington at 2 p.m. American Western Standard Time or 11 p.m. Irish time yesterday. In other words, I've put nine hours onto my life as we reached the coast of Ireland a couple of moments ago. Well, to me, the Boeing 747 jumbo jet, it's not just an aircraft, it's more a flying hotel. In fact, I think it's fabulous. It has 4,200,000 parts, 100 miles of cables and wires. Its length, for instance, is 31 feet more than the height of Liberty Hall in Dublin. The entire population of an Irish village would fit in a 747. It could accommodate everybody in Ashford, Fenit, Roundwood or Sneem and still have room for a few neighbours, friends and the odd visitor. Well, the ceremonies to get this magnificent aircraft underway began in earnest yesterday when Mr. Tom Kennedy, public relations manager North America, accepted the aircraft on behalf of Aer Lingus Irish International Airlines.
2: As
5: we say in Irish, this is a great day for the Irish. Great day, too, for the Americans. We are extremely happy that this proud moment has come, not just for... We, back in Aer Lingus, but for the entire, I'm sure, Irish nation, that we are bringing the big one home. And we are most grateful to our American colleagues who have helped achieve
2: this tremendous uh, task here, or at least uh, complete this tremendous task. And now, I think, as Mr. Neville said, we've, the only thing that's left is to have the blessing of Almighty God on us, which I think we maybe had all
5: along, but we're asking Archbishop Connolly to formally invoke it. Uh, Archbishop, if you would, please.
6: Uh, it's a real privilege for me to have this opportunity of blessing the St. kill. Uh, the uh, St. Patrick has ridden the skies safely during the past 11 years. And I admonish the crew at that time to take good care of it And I repeat the admonition today to the crew, my reputation is riding on the plane. (laughs) In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, creator of all things, visible and invisible, graciously deign to accept and bless this new and finished work, which we thy servants now offer to thee. It was thine before we could presume to present it to thee. For thine are the inventive minds that conceived it, thine the technical minds that reduced the vision of it to a design, thine the trained hands of the craftsmen who formed it, and thine the rugged strength of the workmen who made it whole and finished it for enduring service. Defend and preserve its crew, O Lord, from all danger. As they labor in faithfulness and loyalty at their appointed tasks, grant to them the grace to be equally loyal and faithful to thee, that they may have the constant reward of thy protection and thy love. May all who, who under thy fatherly care, fly in this plane, happily reach their destination and return home safely to their homes and their loved ones. All this we ask humbly through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
4: The voice of Most Reverend Dr. Connolly the Bishop of Seattle, who performed the blessing yesterday afternoon in a simple and very, very moving ceremony, I must say. I also must admit it was one of the proudest moments of my life to be present for an occasion which made aviation history. Well, needless to say, the story behind the jumbo jet, this massive aircraft, didn't begin yesterday, but many years ago. You see, you don't buy an aeroplane as you would a motor car straight from the showroom you place your order and watch it grow checking with the makers that you'll not only end up with a perfect machine but with an individual one. Kieran Mulhall is one of Irish Aviation's top flight engineers he's lived with the aircraft
7: since its inception. Kieran you must uh, be very excited on an occasion like this. Yes I am indeed this is this is a very proud moment to be bringing this this airplane home. It's certainly a monstrous aircraft isn't it? It is it's big but You get very accustomed to the size after a while, but it is big. Have you become a little blase about it? No, no way. (laughs) (laughs) No way at all.
4: Well, now, you've lived with it for 18 months, you say. Uh, What were you doing in that time?
7: Well, in that time, I've had a team of inspectors here examining the quality of the airplane to see that it's made to the standards that we want it to be made, uh, to see that we get the interior that we want it, and to see that we get it at the best price we can, (laughs) and that we get it out on time. In fact, the plane is costing you 10 million pounds. 10 million pounds, That's something really big, isn't it? That is a lot of money. Yes, indeed. That is a lot of money. What impresses you most about the aircraft? Well, its size, obviously, um, and how quiet it is. It's, It's a surprisingly quiet aircraft. When you see it coming into land, it's quieter than conventional 707s or DC-8s. It's
4: exceptionally quiet where we're standing here now in the Ulster room, which is the first-class compartment,
7: isn't it? That this is the tar room. This is the tar room, I beg your pardon. I'm uh, getting a little confused. The uh, tar, um, This is the quietest part of the aircraft because it has the upper deck above it, mm. so it's very well insulated. Well, Kieran, you're going home to Dublin
4: now and then you're going back to Seattle to pick up the Saint next Patrick, uh, the second one. jumbo. So uh, we wish you every success, and you're certainly a great talent to Ireland.
7: Thank you very much. Here's
4: another one the Patterson singing I Can Fly. If
8: you can show me peace on earth. I will teach you how to fly, if you
3: can show me love on earth, I will take you very high.
4: with a very appropriate piece of music, indeed, entitled, I Can Fly. Well, here in the aircraft at the moment, the majority of people appear to be taking it easy after this rather long flight. But in the first two hours of our journey, we were in daylight hours, and indeed there was great excitement at the time. John Aiken, our navigator, gave us an excellent description of the area we had just covered, and told us a little bit about the navigation.
9: On this flight, truth to tell, I'm afraid I have not very much work to do because we're being navigated by three inertial platforms. These platforms are the same, or very much the same, as the navigational guidance that the astronauts use for their trips to the Moon and back. They're extremely accurate, and probably the total difference across these three platforms when we reach Shannon will be something of the order of two or three miles. At this stage we've been up on the air for four hours, and about an hour after takeoff we left the foothills of the Rockies behind and crossed over Edmonton in Alberta, Thence we travelled north to Fort McMurray, and over the romantically named Uranium City, then over Baker Lake and Repulse Bay, and so now at this time we are over Baffin Island. Well, now. I'll come back again later and um, tell you some more about the countries we pass. It's a pity that we are traveling by night because Greenland by day is most impressive. However, we'll come back and tell you a little later. My thanks to John
4: Aiken for that excellent description. Now, I'm situated here in the cockpit or the nerve center of the Boeing Jumbo Jet and it's certainly a most exciting feat. Captain, it's my first time in a cockpit.
10: <laughs> well, it's most—it's very nice to have you here, of course. Um, so make yourself at home for a while. I c- Get the feel of it, and I certainly hope I'm not in your way. <laughs> you most certainly are not. Well, now, are you very excited about this particular craft? Well, if we look kind of happy, that's because we really are pleased with it. It's—it's it's very difficult to find any fault with this particular machine. It's what impresses you so far. Well, I think it's really like driving a 1970 model when you've been used to something which is just a little bit older. Just everything Mm. seems to have been refined, um, better electronics, greater automation. So just about everything from the pilot's point of view is a terrific improvement on anything we've had previously. It should be, of course. Mm. Well, Well, now you've been with the airline since I think 1946,
4: as far as I can remember. That is correct, yes. You must have seen an awful lot of changes from well, 1946 to the present day?
10: Well, this certainly is a little different from the DC-3 or the, or the Wayfarers or the Vikings. Mm. We've seen a few changes, yes. Do you find it a lot more exciting now, or uh, do you think the adventure has gone
4: out of flying?
10: Well, I don't think a lot of us for a long time have really spoken about the excitement of flying. The, the interest is there every bit as it was earlier. Um, satisfaction. But um, excitement, we don't really um, see much excitement these days in the job. Captain Gordon
4: Wade, you're sitting uh, next or virtually in the co-pilot seat here at the moment. Am I right in saying that?
11: Yes, that's right. <laughs> We're moving around on this flight.
4: Do you ever get bored?
11: Uh, no, it's just one of, those, one of those jobs you're either interested in it or else you're not. If you get bored, I think you back it up.
4: What do you actually think about when you're flying? I mean, for this whole eight and a half hour trip, what do you do?
11: Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of things to do. Where are you going? Where are we at this time? What time are we ex- expected to arrive at the next checkpoint? Calling up various people on the ground, giving position reports, having a cup of tea, <laughs> <laughs> sandwich.
4: That's important. Uh, yeah, oh,
11: they are definitely. Um, just looking around at various instruments, see if everything's going OK.
4: Well, now we're flying in a 10 million pound aircraft. Does the responsibility at all frighten you?
11: No, not really. Um, flying in any aeroplane, driving any motor car, you look after yourself and make sure you arrive safely. <laughs> so if I arrive safely, I'm sure everybody else on board will.
4: Well, Captain Wade, thank you very much indeed. We better let get uh, let you get back to the flying now because you're just being called in at this very moment.
11: Roger, Ma- uh, Morgan. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.
4: Thank you. Thank you, both.
12: Position at uh, 6 miles, west, 0027, level 330, 3 west, 0, zero
4: One thing I should have mentioned earlier, there's quite a small party of people aboard this airliner at the moment. There are 61 in all. Some of them children of uh, various people from the Boeing Aircraft Corporation in the United States. There's a really happy and relaxed atmosphere as I look down the aircraft at the moment. I've got uh, some young, very young people here with me at the moment. Are you very young?
7: No, I'm 17.
4: 17. And what's your name, dear? Ginny. Are you enjoying your flight?
13: Oh, I like it very much.
4: Is this your first time on a Boeing 747,
13: Ginny? Um, well, I've toured it before, but this is the first time riding in one.
4: What impresses you about it most?
13: Oh, it's so smooth and luxurious.
4: What impresses you about the Boeing 747? I
13: don't know. It's weird to know that you're flying at all, you know? It's just
5: like you're just on Earth, <laughs> you know?
4: And what's your name? Well, Joan, over here, you've got some male opposition. And what's this little boy's name? Mark. Mark. And uh, where are you from in the United States, Mark?
8: Issaquah, Washington.
4: Washington. In the state of Washington. That would be near Seattle. Yes. And you go to school over there? Yeah. What subjects do you take at school?
8: Math, language, reading, P.E., social studies and science.
4: Ooh, do you study very hard? Yeah. Are you good at school? Yeah. And do you enjoy school? Yes. What's your name? Mike Shin. And uh, you're enjoying yourself on this flight, Mike? Yeah. Uh, Are you having great fun running around the aircraft? Yeah. What games have you been up to so far?
3: Um, playing cards and stuff.
4: Are you going down to watch the movie now? Maybe. Do you like to be a pilot when you grow up? No. Why not? I thought every young boy wanted to be a pilot
3: because I like being a football player better.
4: So you're going to be a professional footballer? Yeah. And that looks a pretty tough business in the United States, because they play pretty hard football there, don't they?
13: Yeah.
4: Mm. Well, thanks very much indeed for talking to us. We have another gentleman over here. What's your name? Rick Shin. Rick. Have I got that right? Right. And what age are you, Rick? I'm 11. And are you enjoying yourself on the flight?
13: Yes, I am.
4: Seems a great bit of joviality down there, doesn't there? Right. Yeah, I think the uh, older people are noisier than the younger people on this occasion, aren't
13: they? Right.
4: <laughs> what will we do about them?
13: Nothing. <laughs> Let them enjoy their sauce.
4: <laughs> Good luck <lad> yourself. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Now there's one lady I want you to uh, meet over here. Um, She is the wife of uh, the pilot who's flying this monster at this very moment. Mrs Gordon-Wade, how do you do? Very
14: well, thank you. you How are you? enjoying yourself? I'm really enjoying it. It's lovely, very comfortable.
4: You're having great sport. I'm having
14: great sport. It's like a city in the sky.
4: It is indeed, and it's so big, isn't it? It's so
14: big, and the hostesses are absolutely fabulous
4: one thing strikes me but you must have an awful lot of tensions being the wife of a pilot
14: i sometimes do don't always admit it i'm also the mother of a pilot really oh. yes yeah. i'm the mother of brian wade and a daughter a hostess a ground hostess
4: so you're really tied up in the airline business. i am yes yeah, it's a family affair
14: it's a family affair in air lingus
4: what impresses you most about this aircraft
14: oh the vastness of it the comfort and the friendliness of the staff on board it's really fabulous. I wouldn't have missed it for anything.
4: Mrs. Wade, thanks a million for Thank you very us. much. And enjoy the rest of your flight. Have Thank a great you. sport. I presume you're going back down now to I watch the movie. I certainly
14: am. Thank you very Good. much. Thank you.
4: Well, there's a great deal of happiness and joviality on board uh, Colum Kill at this very moment. And uh, we'll return to Terra Firma for a short break.
5: When the wall is asking to be papered With a paper of distinction and renown There's no
15: need to look any further When
5: in town
15: Ask for a crown Get your crown wallpaper and polyurethane paint At the Crown Stockist C.E. Hall Limited At Liberty Street and Your Dental Coke Also at Georgia Street Dublin and Roche Street Limerick So when you're looking for a wallpaper that's different
16: Ask for a crown Every day, your heart pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood round your body. A tough, efficient machine. Yet heart disease is the biggest killer in the Western world. How easy is it to damage your heart? What causes coronary thrombosis? Find out in Mind and Body, a new weekly magazine that builds up into a fully illustrated A to Z of medical knowledge. Mind and Body. If you don't owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family. Issue 1 is at your newsagent now.
2: Father, mother, son and daughter can join the EBS Savings Movement. Start now and earn 6% tax free on regular savings equal to almost 9.25% gross. Booklet Regular Savings Free from the Educational Building Society, Westmoreland Street, Dublin or agencies. Join the trendsetters at Lee's Fashion Show in Doonlera this afternoon. Michael McGuire will introduce top models from the Miriam Woodburn Agency who will be wearing hot pants, slit skirts and latest styles from Lee's Raven. The show starts at 4 o'clock in Lees at Dunlaire.
4: Welcome back. Well, the Traveller today will never be short of entertainment, in-flight entertainment, on the Boeing 747 because there's a feature film with supporting programme in four of the five rooms on board. There's also eight sound channels, each providing an hour-long programme, two channels of stereo and six mono. They provide classical music, popular music, mood music, all time favourites, popular music, Irish music that is, traditional Irish music with a bilingual script, a magazine programme and a children's programme. Now, here's just a short sample of one of the programmes.
15: Good morning, Welcome to your magazine programme, bringing to you for the next hour items many and varied related to Ireland. Whether you were born in Ireland, or like millions of Irish ancestry, or perhaps one of our many visitors, I'm sure you know a great deal about us already. Now, far be it from me to shatter any illusions, but I think a few pertinent facts may be in order. The last leprechaun, sad to relate, left the country some years ago, and people who intersperse their conversation with Begara and Japers are few and far between. Although it's still a land of contrasts, the modern Ireland living quite happily side by side with our ancient traditions and values. Now in this programme, like any magazine you might browse through, we'll bring you for the next flying hour features and documentaries. Only this magazine can be digested with your eyes closed. We can also let you have a soup song of music. I hear there's a
3: song in the air, so sing it a- Shouted aloud, I don't care. You laughed at me.
4: I'm told that man doesn't live by bread alone and the man in charge of the uh, catering on board this aircraft at the moment and he's done a powerful job together with the hostesses is of course Rian and Rian we have spoken to each other before. That's right yes. About a year ago actually. Um, Not quite. Um, I'd say in the last (laughs) six months. Well you've taken on a few extra problems since I've been talking to you last.
17: We haven't really. Um, I think this aircraft is an easier aircraft to deal with. Um, If one looks at the size of the aircraft one first of all thinks that uh, you know there's tremendous problems Um, but if you bring it down to brass tacks and you say that's right it's only an aircraft and you want to be able to um, do the catering properly on board you deal with it in a very simple way you take it as three separate flights and that's how you deal with the problem. But how do you cook? 400 steaks, or 385 at once. Well, these are all prepared in the kitchen before they leave for the aircraft. The steaks are just seared, top and bottom, and they're cooked for about um, 25 minutes at about um, 250 degrees. Um, They're done this way. If the the steaks are cooked too slowly, um, they will tend to be... um, The the juice seems to run out of them. If they cook just at this temperature, there will be a very, very acceptable meal and a very good presentation. Well, now, there is a difference,
4: I presume, between first class and uh, tourist class, and I'm always envious of the people who can travel first class. There's certainly (laughs) a fantastic
17: difference um, in in first class. Um, We pride ourselves in our first class catering, Mm. naturally. um, Well, well, give me
4: an example of a menu in first class, or a brief example we can't spend all day over.
17: The um, menu on, on the first class, um, we start off with caviar and vodka, um, ice vodka, and this is very very it's acceptable. It's a pretty good start. Very <laughs> good start, and then you have your choice of hors d'oeuvres, and from the hors d'oeuvres, you would have a choice of lobster or sole fish courses, and you um, from there you would have um, your steaks, your um, from from your steaks and then you go on to um, veal, but we have started um, a new dish on the airline this time to try and be a little better than the other caterers of the other airlines and we have on the eastbound flight a beef perigodine and on the westbound flight um, a beef wellington Are you trying to be Irish in any way? Yes, all the food that goes on board is Irish food. From Dublin, we try and make it a typical Irish meal. It's plain and it's
4: simple. Well, allow me uh, to let you get back to your plain Irish breakfast at the moment, and thanks a million for talking to me.
16: Thank you.
8: Bitter green She walked The hills above the town Echoed to her footsteps A soft designer down Waiting for her master To kiss away her tears Waiting through the years Bitter green The gold are Walking in the sun Loving everyone That she met Bitter green Dakota, waiting in the sun, waiting for someone to take her home. Some say he was a sailor who died away at sea. Some say he was a prisoner
3: who never was
8: set free. Lost upon the ocean, he died there in the mist dreaming of a kiss. Bitter green, the cold walking in the sun, loving everyone that she met. Bitter green,
3: the cold are waiting in the sun, waiting
8: for someone to take her home. But now the bitter green is gone. The hills have turned to rust. There comes a weary stranger, his tears fall in the dust. Kneeling in the churchyard, in the autumn mist, dreaming of a kiss. Bitter green, the cold walking in the sun, loving everyone that she met. Bitter green, the cold waiting in the sun, Waiting for someone to take her home Deserv.
4: that song, and it sounds even better, uh, way up here in the sky. The Johnsons with Bitter Green. Well, one of the most attractive things about flying in this, the 20th century, are the hostesses, the girls in green. One, I can assure you, is not short on a jumbo, as there are 15 of them. I spoke earlier to three.
7: My name is Maeve Brough, and I'm from Dublin. From Dublin. My name is Ethno D and I'm from County Clare. Irene Liddy from Dublin also.
4: And tell me, Irene, how long have you been in Seattle?
7: Ten days.
4: Ten days. Did you have an enjoyable time? What were you doing there?
7: Well, actually, we went to training school in Boeing, and we got the most fantastic training that anybody could ever get for this aircraft. We went to school at 8 o'clock in the morning and came back at 4 in the afternoon, and then we had a
0: few free days, and uh, we saw some of the scenery.
4: Well, was it nice being back in school again?
0: Oh, well, this was a school with a difference. It was a very, very nice school, and we didn't find it too
4: hard at all. Tell me your first impressions of the aircraft, anyway.
7: I think it's a fabulous aircraft, and passengers are going to love flying in it. It's not like an aircraft as we think it is. It's more like um, a ship.
4: Could you, in fact, sum it up for me? What is it that makes it so special?
15: Well, my one word would be space, both for the passengers to enjoy themselves and for the hostesses to work in. And when we were at this school in Seattle, we had this fabulous instructor, and his one word for it was a dream. The doors were a dream, the galleys were a dream, everything was a dream, and I must say, I think he's right. It is a dream.
4: Well, I'm just uh, looking down the uh, aircraft now at the moment, and it practically looks like a tennis court, doesn't it? <laughs> oh yes,
15: everybody's having a ball.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, they say they say the best uh, they say the best place for a woman is in the kitchen, and I believe uh, you have some rather quaint galleys here.
15: Yes, we have three galleys, and they really are wonderful. Towards what we're used to, we have space, we have lots of stowage space, and we've never had as much before, and. Um, Most of the girls who have worked in it up to now are very happy indeed.
4: Well now tell me here and now, what are we getting for breakfast?
3: Oh,
17: now! (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're serving grapefruit, cornflakes,
2: bacon, liver, sausages and hot rolls, coffee or tea.
4: My goodness, I'll hardly be able to walk off the aircraft (laughs) with that, but uh, it should put a bit of weight on me anyway. Well, girls, at this point, we'd better let you get back to your work. And thank you very much indeed for talking
17: thank, us. Thank, you. thank you very
4: much. Well, at this very moment, I'm gazing down this gigantic aircraft, and I can see nine seats across. And I'm just wondering how, in fact, they're going to fill all these seats. And the man with all the answers is Mr. Brandon O'Kelly. Brandon, do you envisage it as a problem?
14: Well, just one thing before we go any further. I'm not sure I have all the answers. None of us have. <laughs> Uh, I'm very glad the airplane's here. It's always a problem to sell all your seats all the year round. But if if ever I was confident of any particular year, it's 1971. The whole feeling throughout the industry is that 71 will be good. I spent some time in San Francisco. I spent some time in Seattle this week. And both places report bookings ahead of last year. Now, how am I going to sell this airplane? Same way as we've sold the others. We have given out a great number of allotments to our key producing agents. We have programs running with American Express, Thomas Cook, Caravan Tours, and these are brand names in the travel industry over in in, in the United States. They all have taken large allotment of seats from us and and assure us, and who can tell at this juncture, that they're going to fill them. One thing we should mention, we we have what appeals to both types uh, of the traveler. We have the 747 now, so we're right in the league with everybody else. And we have the 707, which is still a most accepted aeroplane. So we can give the alternate to the public, whether they be 747 or the 707. I must say at this juncture, 747, I'm full of enthusiasm. It's a magnificent craft.
4: Well, uh, Brandon, let me wish you every success. And I must say it here and now that uh, I feel very proud to be Irish on an occasion like this because... After all, it is a 10 million investment, and it's really something very large for a country our size. Well, thank you.
14: I'm excited for the first time in many years myself. And thank you for your good wishes.
4: As you know, this aircraft was built in Seattle. And it was in that fine city that we met the mayor, Wes Ullman, who recorded this special message to the people of Ireland.
13: I'd like to extend my very warm uh, and uh, uh, very sincere uh, greetings to the citizens of uh, Ireland, to our neighbors. Uh, we here in Seattle are very pleased to be part of the major link between uh, our city and our country and ireland uh, through our building of the uh, great boeing jets of course the 747 uh, that uh, you now have is going to uh, bring more of our citizens to ireland and hopefully more irish uh, citizens to our country and to our city Uh, we here in seattle do have very many uh, uh, very active uh, uh, irish descendants uh, One of our newest judges who has just uh, been sworn in uh, here in the city is uh, Pat Corbett, who couldn't be more Irish than he is. And so we're very pleased to have uh, a, a major role in bringing Ireland and Seattle and the United States closer together again through these great jets.
4: Mayor of Seattle Wes Ullman a fitting way to end this part of the programme on the Aer Lingus Boeing 747 jumbo jet St. Kill. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Aer Lingus for their wonderful cooperation in the making of this part of the programme. My thanks also incidentally to producer Billy Wall and sound supervisor Paddy O'Connor thank you very much indeed gentlemen believe me both have been working under very difficult broadcasting conditions. At this stage we should should be over Dublin and the Dublin Airport at this very moment is Donaco Dooling. Donika, can you sight us yet?
5: Indeed Morgan, I've just sighted you about two minutes ago the great jumbo jet went sweeping past and the first of her two sweeps past Dublin and I'm standing here with uh, several thousands of other people who've been here since 10 o'clock in earlier. The number one army band is down here near us standing by with Cameron Doherty and I see the jet again in the distance sweeping around once more we thought this morning we might bring you back a little bit in time back to some of these early flights back first perhaps to 1919 alcock and brown and mr teague the marconi wireless operator in clifton who remembered it well
6: rather than i could run now it would be about three quarters of a mile i should say over boggy country jumping from uh, tussock to tussock i missed one and that's why i was second up there i think because i was in pretty good trim i should have been the first thing that they said as far as i can remember was uh, Brown was out of the plane, but uh, Alcock was still in it and he said uh, who'll t- have an orange direct from Newfoundland. Or cigarette, I've forgotten which the order it was. One came first and the other second. Cigarette, orange, yeah. and then uh, thermos flasks they were handing out and various things.
5: They didn't appear to be shaken in any way?
6: Not really. Alcock had a slight cut on the forehead, but they are both just excited, that's all you could say yes. about it really. Yes. They're not shaken at all.
5: We're very fortunate in having on tape this morning from archives the voice of Sir Arthur Whitton Brown. So here now is what he felt and remembered sometime later.
12: Our plane was one of the big Vickers Vimy bombers, big by last war standards anyhow. It had two engines of 350 horsepower each. Its cruising speed was 90 miles an hour, but with the wind behind us, we averaged 120. We came across the Atlantic in 16 hours. Not so bad for 1919, but it wasn't a pleasant trip. We had no radio to guide us. We had fog nearly all the way across. I saw the sky once for long enough to fix our position by the stars. We sat in an open cockpit with the sleep driving against and obscuring the windscreen. Uh, Then ice began to form all over the wings and clogged the Elrond hinges, causing the plane to get into a dangerous spin. She spun through the clouds and came out just above the waves. It was an unpleasant moment until Alcott got us out of the spin. After that, we went on and on, until at last we saw the green fields of Ireland, and then we crashed in the bog. Well, that's the start. I suppose they'll soon be coming over in dozens.
5: Come, all you tender Christians, I hope you will draw near and listen to these few short lines I mean to let you hear. Concerning Brown and Alcock, who flew so brave and bold, may the Lord above look down with love and have mercy on their souls. 1927 was another year of excitement for flyers, for it was in that year that Charles Lindbergh made his famous solo flight from New York to Paris. His plane, The Spirit of St. Louis, flew the journey in 33 hours and 30 minutes, and the distance was 3,610 miles. The first land he saw was Ireland. I saw the green fields of Ireland, he said, and I knew I had hit Europe on the nose. Ireland is one of the four corners of the world.
15: This is CHNS Halifax, Nova Scotia. The government wireless station at Cape Rave, Newfoundland reported that Lindbergh passed overhead at 7pm Eastern Standard Time. The weather is reported as poor. This is WJZ, New York. George Hicks reporting. As Saturday dawned over the vast Atlantic, the Lindbergh plane is unreported since passing Newfoundland early last night.
16: This is station 2RN Dublin calling. The American flyer Lindbergh passed over Dingle Bay on the Irish coast at a low altitude at 1.30 this afternoon. Ici Radio Paris. Un bateau pêcheur près de Cherbourg vient de nous informer que l'aéroplane de Lindbergh est arrivé à la côte de France à 3 heures de distance de Paris. This is Lowell Thomas in New York. He made it. Charles A. Lindbergh, Lucky Lindy as they call him, landed at Les Bourget Airport Paris at 5:24 this afternoon, thus becoming the first person to fly New York to Paris non-stop.
5: Some time later, the songwriters took a hand, and a trio called the Bonnie Laddies, whose wireless programme was sponsored by a maker of pills to cure backache and kidney troubles, immortalised the flight, if immortalised is the word for what they did. Captain Lindbergh, we're with you. Won't you please come smiling through? Keep her going, give her steam. You'll soon reach the land of your dream. It took the boy from the West to do it. He just has shown us the way. He will be showered with kisses. He is the boy of the day. Another day now, the 12th of April, 1928, when Ireland played a really significant role in transatlantic air history, when three men, two Germans and an Irishman, flew the Atlantic east to west for the first time. They were Captain Hermann Coyle, Baron Gunther von Hunefeld, and Colonel James Fitzmaurice. The plane was named the Bremen, a single-engine Junkers monoplane which took off from Bell Donnell at 5.23 on the morning of the 12th of April, 1928. Their 2,270-mile flight ended 38 and a half hours later on Greenlee Island off the coast of Labrador. Incidentally, the Bremen was acquired later by the Henry Ford for the Ford Museum at Dearborn, Michigan. Hear now the voice of Colonel Fitzmorris from RTE Archives.
15: Well, at the moment of takeoff, we had the whole of the cabinet out there to see us safely into the air. And uh, we were very perturbed about the takeoff. But we had a certain amount of confidence in the aircraft that we were flying. Uh, and we just battled through with it. And we did get safely uh, airborne. We got into the air. And once we got off the ground, I was confident that we would make the deal. Yes. And we would do something that nobody ever had done before, that is, the successful crossing of the North Atlantic by heaven in our cars. But I do remember that we were lost for a long number of hours in the air at night, in cloud, picking up ice, and we were running out of oil, which is very important with a little motor of the sort. We had just 300-horsepower engine. But it kept muting and it got us safely on the terra Firma. Ben von Hunefeldt will go down to history as the first steward in aviation history, because <laughs> he was the Ben who served. He was our waiter. Oh, yes. But it was nice to know that a Bavarian and an Irishman were doing the flight with a Prussian gentleman...
5: Well just now back in Dublin Airport we have no waiters but we have plenty waiting at the moment. Uh, The Jumbo has just done a magnificent sweep low over the airport and headed back towards Dublin again. Uh, Looking out here in front of me now the Guard of honour is drawn up, Erlingas hostesses, uh, uh, crew and ground staffs. Uh, The army band, instruments, I say instruments is drawn up over on my right and all the balconies are full to right and to left. The Irish flag is here on my left. It must be strange for Erlingus people looking back today to look back to 1936 which was I think a day like this a mild and cloudy day when the first Erlingus flight took place that was May the 27th 1936 and the aircraft type was the type of antler which is drawn up down here the very first type of aircraft used by Erlingus a de Havilland gypsy uh, with gypsy major engines and she had a fuel capacity of 60 gallons and a speed of 100 miles per hour. Interesting to know that on that first day, uh, when Erlingus took wings so to speak, the uh, new soon was playing in the Abbey, the Omen of the Guard with Rat Mines and Rat Musical Society was in the Gatehead Theatre in Dublin, and Mahmood, I hope that's correct for racing people, ridden by Charlie Smirk, won the derby for the Aga Khan. And listen to this choice detached houses or bungalows were available. Uh, by the sea, it says, for 500 pounds each. And now the army band is coming out again, this time in full dress, and they're forming up. Uh, In small print that day in the papers, you would have read that a new company, Erlingus, was formed, launching a daily return service, Dublin, Bristol. That time, Erlingus had a staff, 12, and had one six-seater plane, as I said, and a few, mind you, a very few spares. Some people said you could have fitted all the spares in a biscuit tin. Well, I wouldn't know about that. The first flight, I think I said, to Bristol carried five passengers, and she was piloted by Captain O.E. Armstrong. By the end of that first year, Arlingus was obviously really moving, and had by this time carried 892 passengers and three and a half tons of freight and mail. In the early days, things were not quite as formal as they are now, as formal as they must be here with a giant like the knife column killer uh, coming in. People were allowed to go out to the aircraft and say goodbye to their friends and shake hands in the wind, so to speak. Uh, early on, by the way, no trained hostesses were carried, but a girl would fly occasionally as a crew member if her duties allowed this. By 1940, the number carried by a had increased five times to 5,000. Now, I see a plane coming in again. It's the naive column killer. She's approaching this time again, coming straight in down the runway towards us. All eyes here are beamed in that direction. The guard of honour is drawn up right in front of us here. Press cameras. Uh, I see VIPs down to the right being marshalled into position. She's approaching very, very slowly. You can see the streams of vapor away down behind her. It's a very calm, dry, grey sort of morning. Uh, the, Arlingas, or I mean, the army band which is drawn up here will. Play a fanfare when the air- aircraft has reached the end of the runway, and uh, the band is just drawn up at ease, I would say at present. Here she comes she's approaching now very, very slowly. This is a, this is a Passover we're just wondering whether it 's a Passover or not she 's approaching quite slowly now, almost dropping down. It gives an impression here of gigantic size, but uh, grace at the same time, nothing awkward she's approaching now very very slowly dropping down yes she's going to land this will be the first historic landing of a jumbo jet of ireland at dublin airport now she comes in here she is she's touched down naif column killer has landed at dublin airport and she's taxiing up now perhaps you can hear the the motors there in the background it's a very exciting moment here seeing the green white and gold of ireland airling us naif column killer this this huge plane the biggest plane of her type in passenger aviation today, drawn up at Dublin Airport, taxi away, and here's the band now. now the, um, the Erlingus house flag is being hoisted now very slowly. The green-white stripes of the shamrock in the middle, it's being raised by one male and one female uniformed staff and will stand in special colours now on Pier 2 to our left. Now activity begins to... Uh, things begin to move here at the moment. Various people are, are lining up. It must be strange, I suppose, um, for people who've been with Erlingus for a long time to look back on the early days and think of this. And I wonder what the people over there are thinking about. I wonder what the people thought about in, say, if we go back to 1795 or 1785 in that period, somewhere in Ranelagh Gardens, uh, when a young man took off in a balloon and floated across Dublin to the North Strand. The first time that an Irish person had got into the air. Short trip, but um, a successful one. The first actual aeroplane flight uh, by an Irishman took place in 1910, uh, when the famous Harry Ferguson later famous for other vehicles, uh, took off in County Down, and he flew at a height of 10 feet over the ground, somewhat different uh, to the jumbo jet today. Uh, But flying really began, I suppose, that is, um, motor-driven flying began very far away from Ireland, indeed. um, In 1903, when the first aero flight took place in America, this was the Wright Brothers, and I suppose you could say that their little flight near Kitty Hawk uh, could, for us in Ireland, uh, be said to culminate in this arrival here this morning of the name of Colum I told you of Harry Ferguson. Uh, he flew, actually, 100 yards. Another thing that is interesting, in these days of uh, women's lib, it may be interesting for women listeners this morning at the radio to look back and see women's role in the early days of flying. By the way, we just can't see the aircraft at the moment. She is turning, and we'll be back in view in a few seconds. Up to 1928... No woman had flown the Atlantic either as passenger or pilot, but on the 17th of June 1928, Amelia Earhart travelled west-east in a tri-motored Fokker and became the first woman to break the Atlantic barrier. Then on the 20th of May 1932, flying solo in a Lockheed monoplane, she set off from America and four hours out, an engine exhaust burned completely. And for the remainder of the journey, flames belched out much too close for her to the highly flammable fuselage. This went on for 10 hours until 14 hours and 58 minutes later from her departure, she landed at Coolmore in County Derry, another link with Ireland. And she was welcomed there and spent the night in Coolmore before going on. And sadly and unhappily, of course, the great Amelia Earhart uh, was lost in 1937 while trying to fly the Pacific. Until this day, there's been questions, and you may have remember reading the papers recently, there was doubt as to whether she had died or not, but uh, she's considered to have died in 1937. Still waiting for the, for the German. Now she's taxing back. I can see her great, vast span of tail here. And the little Uller, this is an exciting moment, and Tuller is leading her in. And the other now, it looks like a fly, I suppose, behind an elephant. Pardon the pun, I didn't mean that with the Jumbo, but that's what it looks like. She looks as if she could be carried on top of her nose. It's almost an impotence of this small plane to lead her in, but this is where history begins and carries on, not ends. Now they're coming down very slowly, parallel to us here. The uller is leading her along very gently. I see the VIPs now on their way out. I can see... Uh, the Minister there, the Minister for Transport and Power, Mr. Brian Lenehan, standing down there. Also, Mr. Patrick Lynch, the uh, Chairman of Verlingas, Mr. Michael Dargan, who's the General Manager. Uh, Dr. J.F. Dempsey, the former General Manager and Director. Uh, Captain J.C. Kelly Rogers, I see there, He's the hostess with them. Dr. T.J. O'Driscoll is also there. Uh, Mr. Charlie Murray, the Secretary of the Department of Finance and this very, very long sweep now is carrying on in front of us down the main runway. Uh, who else do I see? Yes, Mr. John Layden who is a retired director and a former former chairman of the Air Company. While I talked to you there recently of the early balloon flights uh, there was a young man named Crosby who also tried a flight. He wanted to cross the channel but halfway across I think the winds went against him. And um, he came back. But in the 19th century, uh, in Derry, there was a man with a more evolutionary idea. He killed 24 geese, and he used their feathers to make wings. He took off, uh, landed ignominiously, and I suppose with a little hurt, he broke his two legs. Uh, We've never been told what happened to the geese. I suppose somebody in Derry had a good feed. However, until has uh, turned in and is coming towards us now, I see Captain Jack Miller, who has been marshalling affairs out there all day, drawing up his forces and our very good helper here our right hand paddy reynolds is standing alongside me and tipping me off as to what's going to happen next now here we come uh, approaching us very very slowly i think morgan told you there when the when he was in the jumbo that she could carry uh, they mentioned va- various villages and one of these that i happen to know is castle martyr in county cork So it would be interesting, I think, if I could see a lot of my ex-neighbours suddenly plunging out of this jumbo jet. So, Castle Martyr people, if you're listening, remember, you could all have been in this and um, have fitted in it. And I'm sure you probably would have enjoyed the trip as well. When I talked about women flyers, of course, I should have mentioned the famous Amy Johnson or Amy Mollison. There were several of them. And then there was also the young man named Corrigan, who, if my memory serves me right, pulled in, if that's the word, uh, to an airport in America, said, would you please fill her up to me I want to go to Ireland, and they took one look at the plane and said, well, you'll never make it, you've got to go back. He said, fill her anyway, so they filled her, and he told them he was heading for Los Angeles. And sometime later, the day the following day, a young man arrived at uh, Baldonnell and said, uh, I'm Corrigan. Corrigan had, in fact, flown to Ireland, his little plane, and um, he was severely censured when he went back, but I don't think that uh, public opinion would allow them to keep his licence from him, so he got his licence back. But we, we haven't heard of him since that he's made any hops, in recent years. Well now, Untular is facing us, facing us in here now, coming towards us. And this makes a very interesting picture indeed. She looks as if she's almost under the knife Colum Kille. It's mighty wingspan. It's hardly believable that this sort of size of aircraft would would take off and would land so neatly she landed like literally like a small plane. And even while she is coming in in ceremony and this is typical I suppose of any great international airport business is somewhat as usual as I see a plane coming in at the end of the runway and sweeping in and indeed before this plane arrived other planes were leaving now we await this the little propellers of the little plane are busily whirring around while the gigantic jet is just uh, going along gently, she's being marshaled marshaled into position now the cameramen are having a, a field day Racing around here, trying to catch different views and different angles, and my goodness, there's not much problem in getting different views and different angles of this Boeing. In her five, in her five, she has five staterooms. I think Morgan may have mentioned this to you. Five lounges in her she, the, the four provinces: Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht, and Tara. Tara, I suppose to a tribute to the old Royal Tara. Um, they've all got television except the ulster room which hasn't any vision um, they've also also got audio and uh... you had brendan Balf there i think uh, talking to you on one of their little radio programs she takes twenty thousand gallons of fuel to cross the atlantic and now you compare that with them taller and it makes very interesting reading she's piloted in now right in front of us here by captain pete little and i'm sure that for for Air this must be a great day people are down there. Some of the Aer Lingus people looking very solemn, but I'm sure very happy. This is a great occasion, not just for Aer Lingus, but for Ireland and for the aviation world here. The plane, by the way, for your information, if you're technically minded, has a 100 miles of cables and wires. The flight deck contains 135 instruments, and now I can really hear those motors in my ears. Let you hear them now, Taxing up here, resplendent in green and white and silver. Very graceful, graceful, huge aircraft. And let's not forget on the one who made all the history possible. We're all looking at the big one, but here's the little one coming into position right down here near me. Two tiny propellers whirring She also is silver and green, and she has EI, ABI on her fuselage. Her motors are stopping. The Neve Cullum Killer is pulling up to her position very slowly, getting a signal now. She's there. The nave column killer has halted and has made her first real stop at Dublin Airport. The ramp is now about to be wheeled out. Incidentally, on this uh, nave column killer, there are 18 wheels, 16 on the main gear and two on the nose wheel. The 747, in spite of all this, in spite of her diameter, can make a very short circle. Uh, there are two Boeing 747s, I think, with Erlingus now. Now the band is striking up the minister has moved and is facing the band. The front door has opened now. Now the steps are moving in very slowly very very slowly. Here they come. the steps are moving right close to the, to the jet now as I said they have two crafts the Saint Colum Kille, Col- Colum Kille and the Saint Patrick now Nef- Colum Kille was the first. there I see Jack Miller now the minister is uh, going on board the craft now and going in to talk to the to the crew the chairman is with him halting for a second now at the bottom of the steps the other very very VIPs I suppose you could call them have moved in close behind and there's a slight delay as they connect the steps incidentally considering all the fuel that she carries and she carries a vast amount of it um, it is said that uh, he. As heating fuel, this fuel would keep a four-bedroomed house warm for about 44 years, so you can uh, make that up for yourself. Nevertheless, it takes only 30 minutes to fuel a Boeing for a transatlantic crossing. But now the uh, the minister has gone in, followed by um, Mr Paddy Lynch, the chairman, and um, everyone else stands around and waits here now. In a few moments now, they will begin to, um, to disembark from this, and um, the minister will go... To the, the microphone and make his address the chairman will um, will make the first address then followed by the minister the group gone on board I've just seen them at the door now being welcomed by the senior hostess and they're being brought now to the, the flight deck for introduction to the captain and uh, the flight deck crew and then when they, when they come out the very first thing will happen they will have some photographs taken there's a battery of, of cameramen drawn up down there on the ramp. Again, if we may flash back in time, and this is as good a time as any, I suppose, for flashing back in time, and, and think of those those early people in Ireland, and it's, it's strange, you know, how Ireland has always seemed to be a focal point in this question of flying and um, aviation. Talking of the old balloon flights, the first uh, balloon flight success came in July 1817, as far back as that, when a gentleman named William Sadler took off from Portobello Barracks in Dublin and um, where did he head for? He headed for the Isle of Anglesey. And his time took six hours, six hours from Dublin to Anglesey. Now the band has drawn up again. Commandant Doherty is getting them off. The length of a Boeing, as you were told earlier, is um, 33 feet more than the height of Liberty Hall. If you can imagine that sort of plane drawn up in front of you, as we can hear. If you can imagine Liberty Hall lying on its side, perhaps you can't, but this um, would give you some idea of the actual length of this sort of plane. Also, another interesting little fact that two of these Boeing 747 flights could carry almost all the passengers carried by Erlingus, 1936 and 7, and now the van strikes up again as the minister and the chairman emerge from the plane. Now here's the the captain coming down the steps, Captain Pete Little coming down. There's applause all round. Minister goes, chairman shakes hands to him first, now the minister, now the general manager. And the band plays, those magnificent men in their flying machines. and heartwarming little greeting for various Erlingas people and staff who've been away for a long time, 18 months, some of them, I believe, being, gre- being greeted by their wives. And at the front, the hostesses, some of them are coming down here now and being greeted by the minister again. Now the photographs are taken, the girls are waving happily and pleasantly and in the beautiful fashion that all girls wave. I don't know why there's such cynical laughter around me here, but there is. Cameras are flashing now, and um, just for your information, um, our people on the flight who carried you this story, uh, Bill Wall and Morgan O'Sullivan and Paddy O'Connor, have come down to earth and are waving to us in the window here. They look very pleased with themselves and I'm sure they're very happy that um, their job is done while ours is just this present moment in full spate. I've rarely seen so many cameramen or pressmen they are moving in, swarming around everywhere here to get photographs. The people on the far over there must have it must be difficult to see from there. But they have been there since half past nine, or to ten. So I'm sure, whatever little view they have, they're they're very happy to have it. Now the minister has moved up on a blue dais uh, towards the microphone. I see the chairman going forward now. Cahill Mullen will introduce the ladies the and chairman. gentlemen, the chairman of Er Irish, Professor Patrick Lynch.
16: Uh, Mr. Minister, uh, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, this is a moment of immense pride in the history of the airline. We've had great moments in the past, but one could not help feeling a very special pride when one saw this approach of this magnificent aircraft preceded by the small de Havilland Dragon sister ship of the first aircraft that Aerolingus operated uh, 35 years ago. The contrast between that little aircraft and this magnificent 747 is a contrast which not merely symbolizes the development of Aer Lingus, but the development of our country. In a very particular way, I feel that some of those in Aer Lingus who have been associated with the airline from its beginnings must have been deeply touched indeed. Mr. Sean Lamass has asked me to convey his apologies as he's not being here this morning as he's indisposed. We have here, however, Mr. J.J. O'Leary. Dr. John Layden, and Dr. J. F. Dempsey, who have been identified with the airline from these very early days when that little dragon was its only aircraft. From small beginnings in 1936, Aer Lingus was small in size, small in numbers, small in resources, small in money, small in personnel, there were 12 members of the company, but it was great and big in confidence, in enthusiasm, in hope for the future. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, that the arrival of this magnificent machine this morning is an indication of that success. The airline has had many successes, but we were particularly pr- proud of a success on the Atlantic. In 1958, In 1958, with hired aircraft from Seaboard and Western, Air began its transatlantic operations. In that year, we carried 15,000 passengers on the Atlantic. Two years. Two years later, we acquired the first of our Boeing aircraft. In that year, 1960, we carried 30,000 passengers on the Atlantic. Last year, 1970, we carried 257,000 passengers on the Atlantic. That's a growth record that any airline might envy. And the arrival of the 747 is the culmination, the latest addition to our all-jet fleet. And that, I am absolutely confident, speaking on behalf of the board and management of Erlingus, justifies the decision, a decision with which Dr. J.F. Dempsey and his management team were so closely associated. This aircraft technologically speaks for itself. It is the latest and best piece of technology operationally and economically in the air it is an indication of the confidence of the company to continue the record of success which has manifested since its inception i want i want minister to thank you for coming here this morning i want also i want also to thank Uh, the members of your department, the Minister for Finance, the the Department of Finance. I want to thank my own board and management and the staff of the company at all all levels. I want in a very particular way to thank Captain Little and his crew and our friends from Boeing who brought this aircraft this morning. The, uh, The arrival of this aircraft, Mr. Minister, is once again an indication of the confidence of the Irish people uh, in this company. And uh, through you, Mr. Minister, I would like to thank the members of the Aractus and the community generally will pay such confidence in this community-owned airline. I assure you that it is with the utmost determination we will try in the future to continue to justify the confidence you have placed in us in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, I have great pleasure in introducing uh, the Minister of Transport and Power, Mr. Lennon. Mr.
2: Chairman, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's very appropriate that we're gathered here this morning to pay tribute to the board, management and staff of this great public enterprise of our national airline. In particular, Aer Lingus, since its foundation in 1936, has set an example in modern professional management and leadership. And uh, coming from the public sector, this has given a headline to every aspect of Irish economic and commercial life. The arrival of this uh, magnificent item of uh, aircraft technology in the form of the new Boeing 747, marks a further step in Erlingus's professional approach towards the travel industry. Uh, this is the most costly item of capital equipment ever purchased by an Irish firm. It will be added to in a fortnight's time uh, by the St. Patrick. Very aptly named St. Kill and St. Patrick, they were concerned with imports and exports of another kind in another era. Uh, I want to emphasize one particular aspect here this morning of Erlingus' approach. Things are difficult in the aviation world today. Things are difficult in the travel world. Things are difficult in the tourism world. Erlingus' answer to that is not to retreat, but to attack. And Erlingus is now embarking on a massive promotional campaign, spending £4 million on Promotions abroad to encourage more people to fly Irish. This campaign is designed to secure a record revenue figure in the next financial year of £44 million. Across the North Atlantic alone, Erling is proposed to increase their carrying capacity in the coming season by 22%. They are going right over to the attack in the most difficult aviation route in the world, which is the North Atlantic. This is the spirit of which Erlingus is made. This, I hope, is the spirit of which Ireland is made and will be made to a greater degree in the future. I emphasize these facts because uh, at the present time we are experiencing difficulties in the fields I have mentioned of travel and tourism. Our whole tourism industry will similarly have to adopt the same type of professional approach that Erlingus has always shown. It can do this by more planned marketing, more effective productivity, by concentrating on targets of higher sales that can be planned by good program marketing and by efficient productivity. If we apply the norms of good management to all aspects of the travel, uh, carrier and tourism business, if we apply the norms of good management that have been consistently applied by Aer Lingus, we cannot but make progress. We cannot but treble by 1980, the magic figure of 100 millions that we have secured this year as revenue from Irish tourism. This is the sort of targeting we should be seeking to achieve and the arrival here this morning of this magnificent new plane in the form of the uh, Boeing 747, epitomizes and symbolizes the forward looking approach that we need more than ever in the Ireland of today, where competition throughout the world is tougher in the fields I've mentioned than it has ever been before, we can achieve success through professionalism, through application, and through concentration and efficiency at every level of activity. Again, uh, to the board, uh, management, and staff of our national airline, I say, Kokodakis Galea de
5: and that was the Minister for Transport and Power there, Mr. Brian Linehan. And now the time has come for us to uh, return you. I would like to thank, before we go, Sean Canaan, our ROB unit, producer Ken Sheedy and our assistant Louise Redmond. I hope that you, the listeners, have enjoyed being with us this morning on this trip out from the studios. Agus Binigundiv, our Dudish, guaranteed Thuling Jumbo Jet to Hidder Lingus Imlaklia. Agus Yashodoniko Duling Egen Air Fortin Sun, Agus Imlaklia, Fagal I'm Mohan Agaspur Sholarash, Sharish Gurian Studio, Isra Dandre.